Good morning and welcome to another episode of Paul Martin's Crucial Conversations. Today we have back with us again one of our stars, Steve Schwegel, who is the CEO of Alton Physical Therapy. And just to give you a little background on Steve, Steve is a physical therapist, obviously the owner and CEO of Alton Physical Therapy, but he has many talents. He's also a singer and a songwriter. To give you a little background on Alton, Alton is a six clinic practice in the very southern part of Illinois, actually just north of St. Louis. Steve, welcome. Hi Paul, how are you? Always great to have you. Right back at you. So I believe that you're going to take from today in my conversation with Steve, three guiding principles that I think are very relevant in today's market. First is how do we perform when we are under pressure and in Steve's case way back, as well as in some of your cases, in debt, we're leveraged. Second, how can we use hospital contracts to grow at a time when we don't have a lot of capital? And then third is how can we make sure that the full team of staff are completely behind the goals of the company. And I think you're gonna find from my conversation today with Steve that he's been able to do all of these things. So Steve, your story is a great one. And um, I've always said this, you, you did it your way. And um, you know, I think that the folks with us today are gonna to be really inspired by this, but take us back to when you were a staff physical therapist. At what point did you know in your gut, you know, I wanna be a business owner? You know, I think that that's something that's intrinsic to a person's personality. Uh, they either are built that way or they're not. And me and you have had a lot of discussions about making sure we identify those people in our practices so they can they can be put into those positions that on the bus that we talk about. Um, you know, I had a wonderful boss and I think he identified me at an early age as someone had a, had focus, had a work ethic. Uh, this is my hometown. You know, the town of Alton is about 30,000 people, but it's surrounded by about a hundred thousand. And so, uh, my family had a grocery store. So we were a very well known family that, you know, I, would like to say we were very well liked one of those corner grocery stores there's probably three or three of them um but from early in my life I, I felt like i was more of a leader than a follower um and there were just a lot of things in my life that i'd like to do and most of them were doing them for other people you know for instance your staff and so i really love doing things for my staff and that's what drives me um, once i figured out that i needed to get out of clinical treatment and focused more on running a business, um, that helped me a whole lot early on because early on, I felt like I was just maintaining and sustaining a business, um, but really I was doing too much clinical care and not looking at the business model as much as I should have. Sure, sure. You know, and Steve, I mean, what a great story. <laughs> um, that's actually news to me that your family had a grocery store in your hometown. Um, when I think of a grocery store in the years 
when your parents had a grocery store, you know, that makes me feel that, that, that there's a sense of, of humble. You know, there's a sense of being humble. There's a sense, as you just said, of hard work, commitment towards, you know, achieving a goal. And so you were working in a practice. Um, the owner noticed that you were a hard worker, someone that had a, uh, an ability to lead. What were the steps that you took to make this dream of going from staff physical therapist to business owner a reality? It was a long process. Uh, I, this is the only practice I've ever worked at. I had a wonderful boss, um, and I was part of his exit strategy. Unfortunately, my entrance strategy, I thought would be in five years. His exit strategy was actually at least 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so uh, after I'd been in the practice for probably 15 years, we really were able to sit down. He was finally ready. We were able to sit down and devise a way to do it. But you're talking about a multi-million dollar purchase uh, at that time, there was three practices, but you're talking about an excess of $3 million. And um, my total assets, if I sold my kids and, and my dog, I'm, I'm looking at $600,000 maybe. Um, and so it was, a, it was a process of the bank, a small business association with some of their stimulus that they were able to help. And the seller had to assume some of that um, some of that debt for me also. So there was three loans and I was 100% leveraged. And when you're 100% leveraged, guess what you do? You become focused and you, you work really hard because I remember sitting with my accountant and him saying, okay, so we've got to make it for five years. If we don't make, if we don't hold everything together for five years, then we're, you're going to go under. Um, and at that time we had a one clinic and two hospital contracts. And you gotta remember these hospital contracts, they are 30 day outs for, you know, for a reason. So, you know, that's what it means to be fully leveraged. And, you know, a quick story, I remember um, when I took over, I had to become Medicare compliant. And that takes, even though we were, but a new owner, that takes eight to 10 months. Sure. 30% of my business, 40% of my business at that time was Medicare. And so I couldn't make payroll after about three months. And I, I went to the bank and I was, again, fully leveraged. You can't have a line of credit, Steve, sorry. Find some way else to make your payroll. Um, I went to the seller and asked him if he would let me be late. Nope. And so I went with my tail between my legs to my parents. <laughs> I said, you have $50,000? And they said, we've got $50,000. We put it aside thinking you might need something. And so that, that is the kind of stuff that keeps you up at night, but it also drives you because you've got, you know, at that time there was 25 employees. And if you multiply 25 employees and the families that you're responsible for, um, for me, that is a very strong driving factor. Sure. But that's fully leveraged. Yeah, yeah. So as you look back, you know, going through the purchase steps and, you know, it was a very different market then than it is now, certainly. Um, but again, this was not a, you know, as we've, we, we've described it, kind of a throw your keys on the counter acquisition. This was a three plus million dollar deal to a young physical therapist in a practice. This is, I will tell you, not only one of a kind, but just, just remarkable. What was the biggest challenge 
that you faced in purchasing that business, going through that process and getting finally to a closing on that? Um, the, probably the financing of it, probably coming up with a structure um, that that everybody could handle. The bank felt comfortable because the SBA had guaranteed a portion of it uh, and the seller, I, I probably crucial that the seller was willing to say, I want you to have this. So I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to have some of that loan that I'm going to carry for you. And after five years, I bought him out. So the finances were very, very difficult, but also when you look at fear, not only fear from me, but you look at fear from a staff that has been led by this wonderful man. Uh, he was a great clinician, a great mentor, and no one knew until it happened that I was do that I was buying it. So then their fear is, even though they knew me, is he going to run this and treat us the same way? There's always that fear with people. Um, so those were probably the two biggest factors. Um, and and again, for for two or three years. I was just maintaining things uh, and I didn't really look at the structure of growth or the internal metrics until I met you guys and, and you guys tremendously helped me with that. Uh, we can talk about that later, but one other story I would, was going to mm -hmm. say the first year, um, a big contract um, that I had, they were supposed to be giving me $70 a visit. And they said, no, we know that's what it, the contract is, but we're only going to give you $60 a visit because you're so close to St. Louis and blah, blah, blah. But it ended up, I filed a lawsuit. I was at the private practice meeting and met a lawyer there. He said, yeah, I think you've got, a, I think you've got an argument. And so we, we, we processed that and I won. And this was in the first six or seven months. Um, and it was a big contract for us. And to be able to increase that contract by about 20% per visit, it was huge. But it was also huge for me to feel like, all right, I, I did something real positive. And um, so I think that was, a, that was a, probably the biggest part of starting this place out. Wow. And, and you know, again, you know, you come from a humble background um, and a background where I would probably assume that um, your parents and, you know, in your hometown, you know, the first instinct was not to, you know, let's just go get a lawyer. Yet you were not, you were treated wrongly by a beast. Yes. <laughs> by, you know, a big beast. And, David and Goliath. It was definitely David yeah. and Goliath. And so, you know, for David to be willing to pick up that rock and, you know, throw that rock, um, you know, what... What, what incredible courage, um, what incredible strength. And, you know, the fact that you won is, you know, we, we, we all know why that happened. Yeah. So, and, you, you know, in a grocery store, the profit margin in a grocery store is about that big. Yeah. And there's tons of competition. So you learn how to customer sure. service is probably what I learned at that early age growing up and just how to treat people, not only people who work for you, but also customers. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So take us back to 2010. Um, you had been working in the practice for 10 years at that point. Um, you had been working work, how many years? years? 20 years. It, so you had been working in the practice 20 years by 2010. Yes. Got it. A good three to five of that year of those years were trying to get to this point where you acquired this business. And so, 
What were your goals and objectives for the business in 2010? Survive. <laughs> uh, absolutely. My first two to three years were, were in fear and I just need to survive. And again, that's the time period where 95% of my time I'm a clinician and I'm trying to, to run a business at 5% and, uh, in, I'm going to be honest. I'm not plugging you because you're interviewing me, but I met you at a PPS meeting and we formed a relationship and shortly thereafter we doubled in size. I mean, we, I, I got, I, I just never felt like I had somebody that I could talk to about different dilemmas and ideas that I had and bounce things off of in an objective way. And so I think that me and you met in 13 or 14 maybe. Yep. And I started putting some systems in place and I started creating some accountability. Um, just, it was amazing to me. You think you know your business until you don't know your business, but little tweaks can change things by a quarter of a million dollars. Sure. And just having the confidence to grow. Um, and that was mostly through hospital contracts. Um, but, I'd say that that's probably the short end of it. I, I greatly appreciate you guys. Well, thank you. And, and you can't have any, you, you can't imagine how much we appreciate you. Um, so, you know, I, I'm picturing these first couple of years where you said the goal and objective was to survive. And I remember the meeting that we had. And I remember you saying, I'm just surviving. And I remember um, it almost seemed as though you had this pack and you were just dragging this staff along with you. How did you kind of make that turn to get your staff really focused and engaged on moving the company forward? Because I think that's a challenge that so many business owners have. And I'd love to hear what your advice would be and how you did it. Spend more time on the business side of things, uh, creating a culture. I think if, if, you, if I could say one thing about my practice is that we have an unbelievable culture. Uh, annual meetings we have every year and, and we do fun things at our annual meeting. One year we went to Vegas. We always have, you know, we might have a big annual meeting and do let's make a deal or rob your neighbor and, and people just love it. We do October PT month. We do outings where we all go ziplining or we all go on a scavenger hunt or we bowl dressed up as Elvis. We do just fun things of that nature. The tournaments like the March Madness, the Super Bowl, one of our guys always puts together a board and everybody gets into doing that. Um, but it's just to build a culture where people love what they do. Um, so that was one thing. The other thing is we align ourselves now with clinical skills where instead of sending people to different courses and CUs, we bring those courses to us. Yeah. So now, you know, as everybody's been sent through, you know, the Graston courses, the dry needling, um, the spinal manipulation, the SFMA, and that way we're all aligned clinically in similar patterns. I think that helped tremendously. Um, our executive committee, all of my directors were on an executive board together that we meet regularly to talk about growth and to talk about systems. And we might fight and argue and punch and kick. And at the end of that, we all come together and we do what we decide to do. And it doesn't always have to be my decision. If I, I've had plenty of 
ideas that I thought were kick-ass ideas, and they all vote me down. So you know what? I move on I, because even though I'm the owner, I still feel like they are the ones who run it. Sure, sure. Steve, you know, and, and, and for our audience, um, what I heard Steve just say that I think was um, so telling is he talked about how important it was to build those clinical systems. And, you know, we all talk about how focused we are clinically. And I will tell you that just about every company that I talk to claim that they are clinically superior to their peers, meaning their competitors. Yet when you ask how many, you know, how much continuing ed, um, where Steve just talked about, Graston trained, spinal manipulation trained, et cetera, et cetera. So just a complete commitment to improving and enhancing clinical skills, which we all know is what therapists want these days. But Steve made it clear that there's a business team as well. And I think that's where he has gotten this full alignment between his goals and everybody else's goals all coming together. Steve, we've mentioned hospital contracts a number of times, and it, it would appear as though you used a hospital contract strategy. How do you think this strategy has been integral to your success? Oh boy, um, it's hard to make, in my opinion, in the model that we follow, because um, when when we all created my systems, I don't my clinicians don't see fifteen or twenty a day, and and if I just had private clinics, we probably we we would not be as successful. Um, the profit margin in a hospital contract is much better. I provide the service, I pay I have the payroll, the benefits, CEUs, but I go into a hospital where they provide the space. They provide the equipment, they provide the billing, the collections, they pay the utilities, so you can see the profit margins in there. And if I start a clinic, which we've got a couple that we've started also, my guess is my break even, and when I start making money, it's probably 12 to 18 months, because I gotta put so much capital into sure. that. But when I'm looking at somebody else's putting the capital in, I got to float for a couple months, maybe in two to three months, I'm usually turning a, a profit there. And, and I've been fortunate to be unbelievably successful. And most of ours are rural. And when you go into these hospital systems, they're probably 5% of their budget is associated with rehab. So probably 5% of their attention is associated with rehab, where in my <laughs> life, 150% of my business is rehab. And so when I, I really had the opportunity to work with a great director of operations, and he told me after our probably third meeting, he said, I thought I knew what I was looking at, Steve. And I said, I thought I did too, until someone helped me. And so we've been able to go into these systems where, you know, maybe they're seeing, you know, this is the truth, that they might have two visits or two units per visit or six visits per referral. And they're just not spending the time with the patient and they're not spending the length with the patient. And so I can easily take a hospital, have them provide me the numbers and in no time at all, see how much they're making and see how much they would make if they were working in an optimum setting where you're where you're working with a patient for an hour and you're seeing a total knee replacement for 10 or 11 visits. And I can tell you that one of our contracts, we told them we'd probably make them an extra million dollars in a year or in five years. And they went up 1.5 wow. in one year. 
it was crazy and they hit a growth spurt um but it, it's it's just making that connection um and sometimes that's hard sometimes you've got to find somebody that might know the ceo or you've got to find somebody that might know the cfo or the doo and if you because we all get blind emails all day long that we just don't even look at but if they're looking for your name possibly you make that connection um then you get their numbers and my model personally is that i find a hospital typically rural um that has that i that i could go in and look where they're at and i can either tell them look you're doing great you don't need anything or i might tell them you could probably benefit from some from some consulting or finally uh you need to be taken over because this is a disaster and the problem with hospitals is you mean you talked about this a lot good to great most of the time they're going to say, well, we're doing good enough. We know you say you can do this, but we're getting by. We're making a little bit of money. It's hard to push them from good to great. But hospitals, especially rural ones, you just never know when it's going to collapse. And in fact, two of the hospitals that we've taken over, all their staff quit. So if you can make that connection when that does happen to them, when they do fall into a bind, if you've made that connection, you've kept that little bit of a relationship with them, they're gonna remember you and they're gonna call you. And I'm telling you that the profit margins are better. Um, there's some downsides to hospital contracts. Um, you know, I can't go into a big system and tell them this is the contract you gotta sign. It usually is the other way around and you lose some autonomy. There's sometimes where I'd like more equipment and they don't, that's not in their capital budget. So I have to provide that for them, but your referral sources are already there in place and they want to send them to you as long as you are providing a great service. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, you brought up so many great points there. Um, and you, you know, uh, you answered our question, which my next question was going to be how you get these contracts. But what I heard you say, a couple things that jumped out at me, and I'd love for you to just kind of follow up on these. One is that, you know, PT rehab represents about 5% of the overall revenues, let's say, for a hospital. And it represents about 1% of the things that the hospital executives really want to think about and worry about. Yes. So it's you know, kind of the tail that wags the dog and it just gets forgotten. Um, and so the challenge for you then is how do you get their attention? And what I heard you say is you got actual numbers, you lined up their numbers the way they're running their business of physical therapy, and then you lined up their numbers with the way you run the business of physical therapy and it was just mind-boggling how much more they would make. Maybe they're going from 5% of the revenues to 10, 15, or maybe 20% of the revenues based on the numbers that you're able to provide. And as you said, that seems pretty logical then versus an approach of, we just do physical therapy better. We're going to, um, we're going to give higher quality physical therapy. Well, <laughs> as you know, for a hospital executive, that's not going to sell the board. The board's right. going to be sold when you show them how you can improve. All those other things come along with it. Um, but am I accurate 
in, oh, in boy, you, my you summary hit it there? right there. And, and again, just little things like I think every hospital contract I've ever looked at, they hover between five and six visits per referral and they're never at three units per visit. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are orthopedic surgeons. They would be furious at me if I spent 20 minutes or 30 minutes with their total knee replacement and only saw them for six visits. They would be furious. So our, our uh, metric system just spend the time with the patient. Sure. They've got a copay. They have that same copay, whether it's 30 minutes or two hours. Yeah. We don't see them for two yeah. hours. But um, so when we build that in there and we, we make sure the staff understands less isn't more, more is more. Um, when you're working with a patient, they want to come see you and they want you to spend time with them. Um, and so when, once you start, like you said, transferring their evals, that's all you really need is their evals into your system of metrics, um, it's mind boggling. It's just crazy the change in the, uh, in the entire financial picture. But also what, what has to be said is if you're spending two units per visit, and I'm telling you to spend, you know, four, the quality of care just shoots through the roof. Sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, awesome. <laughs> um, so, so cool to hear how, again, business owner, but physical therapy utilizing the numbers with a hospital to show them why they are going to be able to improve their position with their physical therapy by utilizing your care. Steve, last thing is you mentioned that in a typical startup clinic, you may not break even and start making a profit till maybe 12, maybe 18 months. At what point in a hospital, a typical hospital contract that you've done, do you find that you're able to get to that break even, start generating a profit? That's a great question. Um, basically, I'm paying the, the salary packages, the benefit packages. So you start the first of the month and you've got to cover all that payroll for probably two months because we're usually hospital is another great thing is typically we're on a 10 to 20 day and we receive payment. And so two or three months. Got it. Because you're getting paid it's, every it's, month and the volumes are month. typically, some of it's already there. Um, yep. So yeah. Yeah. So in a two to three but months. I'll tell you what, it is the hardest thing I've ever done is when you go into these hospital systems and you take over a staff that has no idea what's getting ready to hit them. And no matter how long I sit in front of them and talk to them about, this is who we are, and you're gonna be in a much better system, the fear, I, they're crying, if I do it again, I'm gonna take probably three bottles of wine and a carton of cigarettes. And <laughs> because it is, it is, can be very brutal. But I can tell you this, Two places come up to my mind. One place didn't have a great culture. Most of them ended up leaving, but it allowed us to bring people in. And that place is magnificent. They went from billing 1,300 units a, a month to probably 4,500 units a month. It's just the growth and how much people love going there. The other place had great culture um, and they turned around in, in a month and they were doing things the quality of care and all that that we talk about. And it's not that they were doing anything wrong. They just didn't know what was expected. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Take awesome. care of your, and take care of your staff. That's the one thing that I always preach the balance of, of your staff being with their personal life 
and their professional life. I don't let people miss games. If, if have, they have a kid that has something going on at school, that I would be furious if they missed that. Um, I think that's unbelievably important. I, some years I'll meet with each staff member. It wasn't a big deal when it was 25 staff members, but if I commit to taking everybody out to lunch one-on-one, -on -one, and there's 60 employees, there's a lot of time invested in that, but I can find out their professional, personal, financial goals, and I can help align that to, to what the business is aligned at. And I tell you what, that, that was a great exercise that I would recommend. And I always have my directors do it once a year with each one of their employees. And that I can't do it every year, but I try to do it as much as I can where we'll pick a year and I take everybody to lunch one at a time, one-on-one -on -one with me. They always think they're in trouble about something, uh, but they've got to know me well enough to know that I, I just want to know if I'm meeting your expectations too. Our turnover is very low. People love to work for us. Yeah, yeah, what a great story. What a great story. Um, well, Steve, again, we, we got a lot out of this conversation. And, you know, one of the things I just heard from you in you know, going to lunch with every single employee, um, when you can really sit down face to face and share stories. And it's in those stories that I believe we find what someone's really all about. And when people can hear your stories, and then obviously, you know, you're a great conversationist, you're a great listener as well, and you're willing to hear their stories, it's only then that they start to see that they now want to work as a part of a team, clinical team, business team, you know, the Alton team, towards achieving the goals of Alton, which are your goals, right. your goals. But, but they know you and they, and they know, and, and I believe that's how you have built that culture. And I applaud you for that. Thank you, Paul. Steve, thank you. Um, I really, really appreciate your time today. Um, and I'll address the audience here and then we'll say a final goodbye. But for any of you out there who are considering possibly approaching a hospital and are looking to maybe grow, but right now don't have all the capital, um, or you want to grow without having to put out any of your capital, um, click below. Talk to me, and if you'd like to talk to Steve, we've also um, provided you with his information as well. Feel free to contact him as well. I know he would talk to any one of you. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Steve, thank you. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate you spending the time today. Um, you gave myself and all of us a great education today. Thank you, Steve. You know I love you guys. Take care. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.